Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Jordan Bartlett, co-founder, and Danea Stabon, research intern with Doing Good Works, a social enterprise based in Irvine, California. Well, hello, Jordan and Danae. Welcome to the AOI podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for having us. Pretty good. Doing pretty good. Yeah. Well, you're very welcome. I'm really interested in learning about you and your program. So to get started, Jordan, why don't I toss this to you first? Could you please help us understand your background and how is it that you became involved in the foster care system to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. So we're based here in Orange County, but I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. When I was adopted at a young age, one of my first memories is actually being in the courtroom and getting my name changed and going through that whole process. And I had two amazing parents that adopted me and you know, a really loving childhood. I ended up going to college in Orlando. And my freshman year, I was on campus and someone walked up to me and said, I'm your sister. And I didn't know... Oh anything about her. Um, I didn't know who she was. I'd never really thought about the adoption. It just kind of was. So we didn't have too much of a conversation at that point. It was just kind of like, oh, that's, I don't know what to do with that information. And we went separate ways. Later that year, Facebook kind of became a thing. She reached out to me again on Facebook and I started to look through her profile and saw that she had a very different life than I had. She was in and out of the system. She had overcome addiction. She had been incarcerated for some things and she had at that point, it turned her life around and still to this day is doing really well, is sober. She's actually working at the rehab center that she got sober at. So she's doing really well, but it got me thinking about how fortunate I was. So after I graduated, I worked for an insurance agency and a recruiting firm and wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful. So I kept thinking about Stephanie and some of the things that she went through. So in 2014, I just told my boss, you know, I'm going to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go work with young people in the system. So did that without really a plan. So I got to know all the nonprofits here in Orange County, some amazing people doing really cool things, but I didn't know how to ask for money and I didn't know how to write a grant. So I knew the for-profit world a little bit better. So I met someone else that was on a similar path. And he and I just looked at each other and said, you know, let's let's sell some stuff and use that revenue and those job opportunities to support young people aging out of the system. So that's how Doing Good Works got started. And we've grown over the last five years and it's helped us meet amazing people like Danae. And I'll hand it off to her and kind of let her tell her story. Okay. Well, I entered the foster care system when I was about 12 and I was in and out of it while I was going through school and all that. So when I entered, I wasn't doing too well academically, and I was staying with an aunt for a while, and she told me one thing, and I'll never forget it, and she was like, people can take anything away from you, but they can't take away your education. So I took that, I ran with it, and I was able to go to college, and that's where FIRE, UCI, Foster Youth Resilience, they came to talk to me, and that's where I found Doing Good Works, and I was able to get help from people who knew me because I was a foster kid and I was afforded those opportunities. So now I feel like I need to do the exact same thing for kids who were in my situation. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing your stories. I am always not surprised, but impressed at how many people who have been in the system in some form or fashion want to give back and to help others in a similar situation. I was in foster care and I aged out 
way back when. <laughs> and so it's just over and over, you run into individuals who've been through it and they want to turn around and help others. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's a common theme. Yeah. It's an amazing level of, of empathy with everyone we meet, which is really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing about yourself and you did segue into the organization doing good work. So tell us about that organization and what it is that you do to help foster youth and in particular young people aging out into independence. As I mentioned, Doing Good Works is a for-profit business. So the way we generate revenue is to source branded merchandise. So mugs, t-shirts, anything with a logo on it for organizations all across the country. But we always lead with the mission first. So we have a 10, 20, 30 model. So 10% of all of our corporate profits go to supporting young people that have aged out. That could be through an internship, lift rides, rent, anything like that. 20% of our time as employees is dedicated to mentoring. That could be mentoring internally with interns. It could also be externally. I'm a, I'm a court-appointed special advocate as well. So there's times when I'm out all day sitting in court waiting for my case to be called. So we build that into the business as well. And then 30% of our hires come from people that have been impacted by foster care. So that's kind of the model we use. And we always look for different ways and best practices to make as big an impact as we can. I can go from there in that I was one of the youth and I think I still technically am, but I got the internship through my college campus and I started working with Doing Good Works. And as I was working with them, I had the opportunity to explore what I wanted to do professionally, while at the same time, I had mentors who were checking up on me, whether that was if I was able to make rent, if I was able to come to packouts and help other kids who were in my similar situation and have that socialization with everyone. Because sometimes you forget how many like foster kids there were or there are just because like we're older now, but with that, mm -hmm. I've been able to really explore what I want to do professionally. And a lot of that is because of the opportunities that Doing Good Works has um, provided me. Wonderful. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, you're a unique organization as far as our podcasts are concerned in that you are a for-profit organization with what typically is a nonprofit mission. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder for the listeners, Help us understand maybe why you decided on that model and what benefits are you finding from moving forward with that approach? A big benefit for Scott and I, Scott's the other co-founder, the model to generate revenue through a business was more in line with what our kind of expertise was. Mm -hmm. We also knew that business can be such an amazing force for good if it's used for the right reasons. The whole purpose behind business is to find solutions for problems. And that could be finding solutions for your customers, but it could also be solutions on a broader spectrum, like some of the issues in foster care. It's got the same mindset. So the reason we chose the branded merchandise world is it's a $24 billion industry. So we knew if we could make, make a name for ourselves in that industry, you know, that's a ton of revenue opportunity to bring, to find new solutions, to connect with different businesses that are out there, to educate them a little bit more about foster care. So there was just a lot of reasons that it helped us kind of grow outside of just Scott and I, because if it works here in Southern California, you know, we can take that to Florida, we can take it to New York, and there's going to be people that need that same branded merchandise and also the opportunity to educate on foster care, bring resources, bring best practices and those things. So the ability to grow and scale was the most appealing part. And there's so many different job opportunities, whether it's 
you know, what Danae's doing with some of our technology pieces could be packouts in a warehouse. There's just a lot of different opportunities within the business. So the marketing of your organization, I'm wondering about that because I imagine there are a lot of branded merchandise companies out there. How do you market yourself to let people know that you're mission-driven? It's always been a challenge for us. And part of that challenge has been we've always led with the mission. We, we always get knocked that we don't have any products on our site. We're starting to do a little bit better with that. But really it was, you know, you're already buying this stuff you know, in your, your, there are 20,000 distributors out there or something like that, that do the same thing we do, but we're going to be the ones that can make an impact on your community is really the way we marketed it when we first started. And a lot of these executives are already sitting on the boards of nonprofits. So they've got the heart for it and CSR corporate social responsibility is a huge trend in business right now. And this is kind of a unique way without new dollars that you can buy the stuff you're already buying and make an impact on your corporate social responsibility. So that's really the way we market it. And we're selective with who we work with as well. We don't wanna just work with anybody. We want to work with mission-minded organizations because those are job opportunities for the young people that we work with. Not everybody wants to be with Doing Good Works forever, but if they can do an internship with us and then one of our customers is in the entertainment space and they wanna be in entertainment, that gives us the opportunity to say, you know, we've already got this relationship We've got this young person that's worked with us. They've been amazing. Could you have an entry-level position? I mean, we've seen a little bit of success with that. So all of the marketing is really mission first. I mean, that's kind of the culture of the organization and what we run in everything we do. Yeah, the corporate social responsibility is big. And I'm sure people listening to this podcast, if you need branded merchandise, you'd rather support an organization (laughs) that does what this organization does in supporting young people aging out of foster care than just your generic company. So I encourage everybody to go to Doing Good Works and buy your branded merchandise from them. (laughs) I appreciate that. How's that? That was a good commercial. Very good. Awesome. Well, I want to ask about your intern program. Maybe, Danae, I can ask you first, how did you find out about the internship program? And then help us understand what that looks like, how it works. For me, I was involved with the foster youth program on my college campus. And my mentor had mentioned that this company, and that company being Doing Good Works, was looking for people to like for like like a job. So I reached out and I found out about the mission and everything that they stood for. And I wanted to get as involved as I could. And I've been going strong for, I think, a few years for sure. But I heard about them through my college campus. And at first it started off with different things. So I started off figuring out exactly what we needed on campus that Doing Good Works could help with and kind of helping that relationship out. And then as COVID hit and everything, things kind of changed. So right now I'm in between a few things, but with the internship program, the most important thing I know is that we're trying to keep the socializing of all the interns together because with that, it's like everyone got cut off. So I know that there's game nights. I know that there's really close mentorships and I know that we're just trying our best to check in with each other because it means a lot when like someone who understands your situation is there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About how many interns are there? I believe right now there's 18, if Jordan wants to fact check that for me. Yeah. <laughs> so Danae was kind of our first round to kind of figure things out. And we thought we were going to hire directly off of college campuses and it kind of worked. But as Danae said, there was just such a disconnect because we're in different locations. So we decided to revamp it last year and 
January and February. We we're all really excited about it. We we're going to have five new interns and 18 signed up to apply. And then COVID hit, which we knew was going to be a hit to our business because a lot of what we do is based on in-person events. But we knew how big an impact that would be for those young people. So we ended up taking all 18 in that first internships. Another group of just amazing young people that we're able to stay connected with. And then we've got our next cohort that is about halfway through now. And there are 17 in that cohort. We try to stay within the 15 to 20 range for right mm -hmm. now, but the goal in 2022 and towards the end of 2021 is to grow that as much as we can. Okay. And just to clarify, these are all college students? The way we do a lot of the recruiting is through Guardian Scholar programs on campus, but word of mouth has gotten it to people that have graduated already. So not necessarily what I think our age range on the first cohort was 18 to 31. And I think this one is about the same. Oh, okay. So with this internship, What's the knowledge and skills that you're hoping that these interns end their program with? What are you teaching them as part of this internship? Yeah, so there are a couple of different things. One, then the most important and the kind of the coolest part about it has been connecting them with a mentor within the organization. And that mentor really focuses on eight different domains of life, which is a program that we found over at Western Michigan University called Fostering Success. So that mentor talks about education, life skills, financial literacy, all of those kind of things you need as you take that next step in life. And while we're doing that mentorship, they're also doing projects for doing good works that include focusing on a certain state and finding all of the best practices in that state. So finding all of the housing programs, finding all of the ILP programs, the financial literacy programs, and just kind of combining all of those to give us kind of an overview of what that state's doing, what's working, what's not working, and where there might be some gaps. And then the next project they work on is finding organizations that have a mission, whether it's hiring from a certain population, open hire, are environmentally focused, have a product that does good. So they've all got kind of a focus and they look for best practices within those organizations as well. Hmm. So a little bit of training on both the nonprofit side as well as for-profit businesses that are doing good as well. Wow, that's terrific. And do you provide any assistance as far as transitioning from an intern position to, you know, being employed independently in another career after they leave you? That is part of it. We've got a recruiter from Salesforce that will do some resume training and things like that. I think the next step in the internship, a couple of them, like Danae, have come on board with us. We've got five, I believe, that have been in different cohorts that have come on to work with Doing Good Works. Mm -hmm. The next step in this internship is to connect with other organizations to either hire interns or be that next step in the career. Because like I said, not everybody wants to be in the marketing world. So we do resume training. We talk about what companies they'd want to work with. We do LinkedIn training. Everyone gets a LinkedIn account to, so they can start to see how they network within those industries. We would like a more formal next step of, you know, we've done this training for 16 to 18 weeks. You know, we know this person, we've done a little bit of vetting, so we know that they'll be a good fit for this next job, whatever that might be. So that's part of the, the next step in this internship path. Okay. And are you focused primarily in California or do you work with interns anywhere because of the ability to connect digitally? We're open to anywhere. It's been California because that's where our best relationship with Guardian Scholar programs are. But we have our, the next community we're really focused on is Austin, Texas. And then we've also talked to a few organizations in Chicago. So those are the two cities that we're kind of focused on coming to next. 
Okay, fantastic. And Danae, I'll ask you, Having mm-hmm. how long have you been an intern? I started as an intern when I was a junior. So that was three years ago. Three years. Okay. So Give you've got take, quite, yeah. a, quite a lot of time under your belt with mm-hmm. them. What would you say are the biggest benefits that you've gained from working with doing good works in your role? I've learned so much about the foster care system and the aging out process and how it affects different people like differently, depending on your circumstance. But I've also learned a lot about how businesses can work. And my favorite thing about doing good works as um, not just an intern, but someone who's been taken on board is the environment that's been created and the level of understanding that everyone has with everyone. It's something I haven't experienced anywhere else because it, everyone genuinely cares for everyone else. And it's something that I really value. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you've mentioned COVID and that you had to switch things up. So you actually mentioned two things having to do with COVID. One is the impact on your business side because of the reduction of the in-person events. And I totally get that. And I also understand, you know, having to go digital and try to find other ways and creative ways to get people together. Are there any other impacts from this whole COVID crisis that you've seen as part of your organization? And how are you helping your young people through them? And, you know, it has completely changed the way of life for everybody. I mean, and especially, you know, our business. So we've had to pivot on the business side. So we had some customers that were in the healthcare space. So March and April, we pivoted hard with some suppliers to provide them with PPE. So that was a little lifeline for us. And then towards the end of last year, with everybody, both students and employees being remote, instead of us printing you know, 10,000 shirts and shipping all of them to one location, we started to bring all of the products in-house and put them into kits, and we would ship them directly to individuals' houses. Those pivots really helped on the business side. The connection piece is one we're always working on. There's so many different tools like Zoom and Vonage and you know all of these meeting tools. Nothing replaces the one-on-one. You know, the biggest thing we hear is, you know, I love talking to everybody on the team. I would love to be in the office and get to meet everybody. So we tell our mentors to, you know, stay connected, text, Zoom meetings, try and stay connected as possible. You know, Danae mentioned we do the game night. It's hard, but it, as much as we can stay in contact digitally, we do that. I mean, we try and provide you know the platform to do that. You know, game night isn't about playing games; it's about being able to see everybody on that screen and you know again in a non-work related format. And then we send out kits to people. We're still looking for ways. We're still not used to it, and we're still not you know great at it. We're always looking for ways to get better at the connection piece, but it's just consistency and continuing to do it as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. After we're past the worst of this, and it seems like life is getting back to normal, do you envision going back to where you were, or do you see you moving forward in the direction, this new direction you're in, or maybe a hybrid? I think if you had asked me in September, I would have said, you know, we've made a really smooth transition to remote. I think everybody enjoys the flexibility. But as COVID went on, we heard more and more from employees, I want to be back in the office, and from interns, I want to come in and meet everybody. So we've also got some in-house workforce development program called the Purpose Printery. So we, I'm sitting around a bunch of digital printers right now where we could bring in people to work in the office and we can show them how to print a t-shirt, how to print a name badge, things like that. So there's a lot of reasons to go back to the ability to be in person because I think that makes a lot better connection 
So I'm leaning more to thinking it's going to be much more in person with the ability to continue to work with people all over the country in a remote fashion. I mean, we really want to take that purpose printery model and put that in different communities as well. So we can do the internship, but there's also this workforce development kind of resource center in those communities to create that community feel. So I think it'll be a little bit of hybrid, but there's been more push for that physical connection than there has been ever in this job. So it's unfortunate, but I'm glad to hear people want to come back because I know there are other organizations where the employees have basically said we're remote for from here on out. Yeah. Danae, what would you prefer? I think a hybrid would be nice. I do miss going. Well, I, I would never went in as often, but I really appreciate the days where we have packouts and I'm able to see everyone and talk to everyone and feel that atmosphere. So I think a nice hybrid would be would be nice. Yeah. I think a lot of people are coming to that conclusion with their organizations that there are advantages to having the online connection ability. But I don't think you can give up human connection altogether. I don't think that's healthy. No, not at all. I think there, yeah, there has to be some capability. And Southern California is super expensive. So we want to give people the ability also, if they get to know us here in Southern California, that they can go to another place that has a little bit lower cost of living and can take their job with them. And that's kind of been our thought process since the beginning. So that made the transition a little bit easier to being remote because we were already thinking about it. But yeah, I think the ability to do both is important. It can't be, it's hard to be remote only. Absolutely. Now, I did have a follow-up question about, you had mentioned something about wanting to expand the purpose printery. Are you thinking like a franchise model? So we're thinking about expanding in a couple ways. We really want to expand the mission side, both the internship and some of the best practices that we're creating. We call the mission side of our business Foster Greatness. So we're in the process of turning that into a co-op so that our interns, our employees, those that have lived experience have an ownership stake in that. And that can be where you know those best practices are kept. You know, there's revenue coming in from doing good works and the different business models we've got, but that gives a voice to those with lived experience to say, you know, here are the best practices. Why aren't we doing this in this community or that community? So that's one way we want to expand. And then the other one is purpose printery so that organizations that are doing business with us can support the community at a local level. So they don't think like it's all in Southern California, that there's a presence in Austin or a presence in Chicago. So those are going to be the two big areas of growth going into whenever this hopefully starts to die down. Okay, that's exciting. I wish you all the best with that. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been cool to see people like Danae that, you know, have been able to stay with us for three years and aren't sick of us. So uh, if there's <laughs> ways to create more of that, more of that impact and more capability for Danae to stay involved and do some of the advocacy things that a lot of people want to do as well. Sure. Could you help us understand the mentoring model a little bit more? I know you mentioned that you work with both interns and young people externally. How does that work? Like, do you you have staff that serve as the mentors? What does that look like? Are they volunteers? So it's all staff right now. So we've got someone that oversees all foster greatness activities. So they're kind of the point of contact for all the interns on administrative stuff. And then we've got, I think we've got eight employees right now that are mentors to two people in the internship program. So I've got two interns that I mentor and I have a call every week with both of them. The call is always based around one of the domains. So it could be finance one time and we talk about finance and different best practices and some of the issues I've run into. 
And then I usually end the call talking a little bit about their internship because they've always got programs going on. A lot of times that phone call turns into just a life conversation as well. The format is really based around those domains, a little bit about the internship, and then just being available for any other questions that come up. So those are all staff members right now. We're looking at different ways to kind of expand that as well. Okay, fantastic. And you mentioned the eight life domains comes from fostering success from the Western Michigan University. Yes. So if folks are interested in that, we'll have a link on the podcast notes for that resource. But off the top of your head, do you know the life domains, all eight? Oh, you're going <laughs> to catch me here. All right. So we've got education, life skills, supportive relationships, personal identity, physical and mental well-being, finances, employment, and housing. When you're looking at these life domains, is there a certain order that you should be addressing these? Are there any that are more important than others? And and I guess I'm just trying to get at for people who are listening, what are the critical core life skills, life domains, if you will, and then what follows? Or do they all need to be really worked on at the same time in parallel? Danae, do you want to answer that first? I think for me, the top one, at least coming in as an intern, it was, I think, healthy relationships. I don't know if that's the exact name of it, but it's because I felt like you can work towards all the others, but that one is the one that you have to, you really have to like nurture and come to with, with a softness. Do you feel that young people who have gone through trauma, like in foster care, that that's one that they struggle with particularly? I would think so to an extent, just because... Out of personal experience, when I did join the foster youth organization, when I walked in, I never really told anyone about, this just never came up, about foster care and all that stuff. And then walking in and I saw a bunch of familiar faces and people who I was friends with and just being able to connect on them on that level, really, especially in college, was something super important to me. So having that and then also nurturing that in a professional environment is really unique. It's really special. I think when I went to college myself, I had never, because I moved so often in the system that I basically intentionally decided not to get close to people or, you know, make friends. Yeah. And so it wasn't until college and I was there for four years in a row, like, whoa, four years in a row, I actually have time to make friends and to find adults who can influence my life in a positive way, I felt also that that was really a critical component in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how about you, Jordan, from your work, are there any domains in particular that you see as being critical? They all are important. And I I certainly understand that. Yeah. And I'll answer from a mentor aspect. I think the mental Mm -hmm. health, just the impact the trauma has on, on your brain is something I don't think you that everybody is aware of. And I think when you have that awareness, it really changes your relationship with everybody. So we do have all of our employees go through trauma-informed training just to kind of understand some of those things. So I think addressing, I think it helps, you know, be aware of where some of those mental health concerns come from. I think that's a big one to be aware of. That really helps you create a relationship through empathy and understanding and compassion. That I think if you're not aware of some of those things that can maybe say, well, why are you acting that way? You know, it all that behavior is communication for something that's happened in the past. So I think that's a big one from the mentor aspect that I've really gotten a lot out of. And it's impacted my relationships with interns, with my CASA, even with my wife and other coworkers. Going down that trauma-informed path has been really helpful in life. And are your staff trained in that? 
Yeah. Yeah. We, we train everybody in that. We do a four hour course with the local instructor. And then we do follow-ups monthly for about an hour just to kind of go through different, different scenarios that come up with interns or just in life and things like that. So we try and always look for best practices in that area to make sure that we're as up to speed as we can be. Okay. I did want to ask, you had said 10% of your profits, I believe, go to supporting young people aging out of care, possibly the interns, but maybe with rent, you said lift rides. So it sounds like you use the funding to assist maybe local youth aging out of care. Is that correct? Yeah. We try and base it around those domains as well. So housing, transportation, education, we donate a lot back to the Guardian Scholar programs in the community. We work with One Simple Wish, so we'll grant wishes for young people, and that's across the nation. So we try and look for areas where there's either a gap or a need and start to try and fill that around some of the best practices that we're finding. And so you find the youth, the youth don't find you for the needs that they have? How does that work? We usually work through the Guardian Scholar programs or Mm -hmm. agencies that are in our area. When COVID hit, we started a COVID relief fund, and that spread a lot more word of mouth than than working through the Guardian Scholar Program. So we were able to work with some people that we've never we never met in the past. So that was a kind of a cool way for us to give back. And that was just cash to pay rent and buy groceries and all the things that stopped when all the jobs went away. So the majority of it comes through our relationship with Guardian Scholar Programs. All right, fantastic. And I did have a question about the best practices research that you're doing. You said that your interns, many if not all, are doing research on best practices. And if I understand correctly, that's organizations that are working with young people in foster care, aging out of foster care, and what best practices exist out in the nation. Is it USA specific? We break the interns up into groups and they'll each have a state that they focus on. We try and keep an individual person working within a state so that we can kind of compare those different states. But yeah, it is across the country. So you're benchmarking with organizations. Is that in essence what you're doing? Yeah. And it it really was starting from scratch and kind of, this is what we see in California. Is this happening in Texas? Is this happening in Illinois? Or what are they doing? Probably not as formal as as benchmarking and knowing exactly (laughs) what we're looking for, but that's what it's turning into. Okay. And is it combined with looking at research studies and results from from research that universities are doing? We haven't gone that in depth with it, but I know there is a lot of good information out there that could probably be super important to some of the resources that we're finding. Yeah. I wonder if there is an opportunity, you're working with Guardian Scholar Programs with the universities in California to take the best practices and possibly identify some some hypotheses (laughs) about what is indeed a best practice. And then you could even have young people from college, maybe they're a former foster youth, who could develop research programs, whether for their doctorate or maybe a master's thesis, to look into those hypotheses. I'm just, I'm envisioning a partnership there somehow. Yeah, I think that would be, that would be awesome. I, (laughs) that, that Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have the research, but now what are we going to do with it? So I think that's what we need to start figuring out of how do we, how do we turn that knowledge into some sort of action versus just being, you know, a standard kind of thinking group. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that Aging Out Institute is focused on is sharing the strategies that help young people age out of foster care. So maybe we can work together somehow to try to package some of these best practices to share 
with other organizations around the country through Aging Out Institute and find some way to to help each other out. Yeah, I'd love to love to partner with you guys. And mm-hmm. the, the more we can collaborate and not recreate the wheel, the better. Exactly. Well, I know we have a few minutes left, so let me ask this question. The foster care system is challenged. I don't like to, you know, hammer the foster care system in these podcasts. I like to look for opportunities for improvements and look at the positive future that could be developed. So how could you envision the foster care system improving what they do? You know, maybe one or two areas that you see as being particularly challenging. Do you have any thoughts on that, on what the foster care system could do to improve? Maybe I'll throw that to Danae first. Um, I mean, echoing on a few thoughts that I had earlier, I think one of the main things would be getting those, like socializing would be incredibly important because then there would be the word of mouth spread of different organizations, different projects, because there are things out there to help everyone. It's just sometimes when you're in it, like you forget or you're too busy trying to get through the day by day that you don't know to where to look. And then when you do know when or where to look, it's like you don't know when to look. So I think knowing more about what resources are out there and being able to be connected to a community would be greatly beneficial. So how do you do that when you have young people in siloed organizations with foster parents with different priorities as far as the extent they're going to assist young people with connecting to resources and social workers that are overworked. Do you have any thoughts on ways that we could, I don't want to say circumvent like it's a bad thing, but that we could help with all of these other challenges that exist? It's a difficult question for sure. I feel as though like databases are super important, like the one that you guys have, Uh, stuff like that. And then just getting it out there. So it's more common knowledge. Because I feel like a lot of the times, at least kids who are aging out, they take it on all by themselves, or they don't know that they can ask for help or where to go. And a lot of the times they get lost in like, they get lost in the system. So I think being able to know where and when to go, and then ultimately why is very important. It would be a little difficult to be able to mm-hmm. outline that specifically, though. Yeah, I think that's a tough part is the awareness, is getting the information to the young people at the right time, because you don't want to just throw everything at an 18, you're like 17 and a half year old. Yeah, exactly. Right? You're about to age out. Here's a boatload of resources. Go to it. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't help at all. So I think that is that is a big challenge. Yes. Jordan, what do you think? I, I definitely agree. It is a challenge. I think bringing more awareness. So when it's interesting when we talk about what our mission is to customers, it's almost like, oh, I had no idea there was an issue with foster care. I thought, you know, they were taken care of in the system and then they were 18, they were ready to go. And that conversation usually leads to, wow, I didn't know there was an issue. How can I get involved? So I think bringing that awareness so that more people are involved, more people are aware. And then some of those domains that we look at, like housing and employment, financial literacy, I think those are things that need to be available to young people aging out. Because if you don't have those things, it doesn't matter what resources you have access to. You know, it's hard to succeed if you don't have a roof over your head or if you don't know how to manage your finances. So I think some of the getting those things, a platform for those to be available, that training, access to the housing and kind of understanding how to manage your money when it starts to come in. I think then you're in a little bit better place to take advantage of some of the resources that are available once you can kind of take a breath and know that those things are taken care of. 
as I think about growing, doing good works, I want to be able to have apartment complexes all over the country, uh, have housing. Yeah. Up. You know, I think there's a bunch of abandoned buildings everywhere. I just think there's so much opportunity to create opportunity for those base needs that once those are once those start to get met, then those resources can be a lot more impactful when they are available. So I think it's resources, people bringing the community around what some of the challenges are. But I think there's a lot of really good people working on it. And the more the more Danae's I meet, the more confident <laughs> I am that it's it's going to happen and it's going to work and there is a solution out there. Yeah. And I would also add building partnerships between organizations too, because there are a lot, like you're saying, a lot of people doing great work out around the country and in Canada and other countries, so many organizations putting forth a lot of great effort in their area. And I would love to see more partnerships developed and break down the geographic walls that we have. With the technology that we have today, I think that that's possible. Absolutely. I think there, yeah, there's yeah. so much opportunity to collaborate and work together. Exactly. Well, I'm looking at the time and I do believe we are at the end of our time. I'm going to ask one final question of each of you. Mm -hmm. And Danae, I'll start with you. I like to ask you to finish this sentence. The thing I love most about doing good works is? Their honest and true belief in the abilities of the, the people that they help, the foster kids that they help. Wonderful. And Jordan, how about you? What is it that you love the most about the organization that you and Scott started? Danae and meeting people like Danae and seeing, I think we talked about it earlier, the level of empathy and desire to do good and give back. Leading with the mission, I knew it would be interesting from a CSR standpoint. The really cool part is who has come on board with it as a team, both impacted by foster care and had no idea about foster care. It has attracted an amazing group of people that are all in this to change outcomes for young people. And we happen to be doing it through branded merchandise. So the people that really care about the mission is by far the best thing. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for joining the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best with the work that you're doing moving forward. And I look forward to connecting with you on the things that we've mentioned where we might be able to partner ourselves. Perfect. Thank you so much for thank having you. us. Yeah, thank you for having us. You're very welcome. And for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much. We put out podcasts every couple of weeks or so. So come back to our website, agingoutinstitute.org slash podcast, and you'll find all of our podcasts there on that page, or you can hear them on pretty much any podcast distribution platform. Thank you very much. Until next time. <laughs>